It's about our internal resources. And what I'm saying is optimizing our environment, optimizing our behaviors, our capabilities, our beliefs and our values, and our identity. So we're not waiting for Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman. It's like, you are Wonder Woman, you are Batman, you are Superman. It's just, we we have to commit ourselves. When someone's on a, on a mission and they, and then they, they know what to do, but it's just hard sometimes to just do it because you're exhausted. I mean, you know how you feel on one night's sleep, the next day, you know, lack of sleep the next day in terms of your thinking, your focus, your ability to tackle your wherewithal, you know, it, it's hard. And so I, I, I'm become very, very sensitive to things, sensitive to light, sensitive sirens or sounds sensitive to negative you know people are around me because you know i don't have layers of protection or resilience because of that lack of energy a long story but just to kind of paint a picture you know for motivation i i never there's never been a day that i haven't done what i've done for 28 years never a day that i took a pause for this even if i'm on vacation somewhere i'm still doing this because it's it's who i it's who i am and I feel like there's a formula because a lot of people, they're, they're like around motivation, getting myself to do this every single day for 28 years and call it motivation, call it drive, you know, and, and it's, it's a little bit semantics, but it's true. Like motivation, most people is a loaded word, right? It's getting really excited in the moment. You go to a seminar, you dance and you're like, I'm going to make all these changes, these resolutions the next day. We know nothing, nothing changes. And so I, I, I found a formula that works for me, a three-part formula for sustainable motivation. Like when people hear Limitless, a lot of people think about the movie, right? Um, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro. Bradley goes from zero to hero by taking a pill. All of a sudden, he has incredible focus. He wrote his book in a few days. He had this eidetic memory, right? And he, he became, man, he had a surge of motivation. But after that pill wore off, you know, 24 hours later, he just went back to you know, baseline, right? And I feel like there's a three-part formula for motivation. And I'm curious if you agree with, with this, right? Sustainable motivation for me is three parts. It's P times E times S3. P times E times S3 will get you there. Meaning that if you are procrastinating, putting things off, think about anything, right? And also when we're talking about lies of learning, the seven lies, there's also lies around motivation. Like I think one of the lies, limited ideas that we entertain is that we have to enjoy the action. Like the only proof and evidence somebody's motivated is they're doing something to get progressed towards that goal, right? If they're not doing it, they're not motivated. So we could, that's, that's obvious physical, you could observe that, right? So, you know, like objectively. Now, one of the lies that I, I, I feel like I, I learned also from, from you is that you have to enjoy that thing that you're motivated to do. Like I know because I, I follow you on Instagram very closely that you're, you know, you're working out and you, and you get up early and then you do it. But I asked you one time, do you enjoy it? And, and the, the response you gave me was like, you hated it. Now, I don't know if you feel about that <laughs> like that now currently, but oh, this yes. was a couple of years ago, but you still do it. You know, so nobody could question your motivation because you're still doing that early in the morning when you dislike it. So it's a lie that you have to enjoy that thing. Like every morning I take cold showers. I take ice bath every freaking morning. Right. Without fail. I, I never, ever miss it. Right. I'll go cold and I'll go warm and cold and warm. I'll go. People watch me on Instagram. I'll do five minutes in an, a full ice bath. And I hate it. I hate every moment of it. I grew up in the Northeast. I hate it, but I do, I do it because I have a reason. So the P in this formula is purpose. Like I believe that 
like, and it's not just intellectual reason for, for doing something. It's feeling it in, in your, in, in your whole self. Right. And I have a reason to do it because I'm on this mission, right. And this purpose, right. I want, I want, I want to affect positively impact 1 billion brains, right. No brain left behind. So I'm very, very clear. So the motive, my motive, my reason is there and I, it's not just intellectual and it's not, it's not just pleasurable. I, I feel like the pain of who I would let down if I don't do this. Like I feel it because I'm that person. Like I still feel like I'm speaking right now on this video to that 18 year old version of myself or that 13 year old version of myself, you know, like that 12 year old that was being bullied, that was called, you know, like names because they, they weren't, you know, like it was weird. Like in, in, in school also, there was only one other Asian and that she was one year ahead of me and he was valedictorian. He was head of the debate team. He, he messed one question on his SATs. He was so upset and he retook it to get a perfect score. And then I'm coming in after that and I'm like the opposite side of the bell curve, right? And, you know, and then pressure from family and self-expectations, you know, but I'm driven. So I have my reasons, pleasurable and, and, and painful that drive me every single day. And after you do it for so long, you just don't know any other way. But that's the P in the formula. And then what I did was like scientific method. If I was going to build the ultimate human being who's motivated all the time without fail is reason enough. Like if per someone has a deep enough reason, are they always going to be motivated? Is there any exceptions? And I was like, yes, the E is missing. They could be missing energy, meaning that a lot of people could have be so tuned into their reason and know why it's important to, to work out every day or to, to read every day or you name it, right? But they ate a lot of you know, crappy food and they're in a food coma, that might keep them from working out or they didn't sleep the night before. Not having the proper level of, of vitality, physical and mental vitality could keep you from, from being motivated. And then I went in back into my, you know, thought experiment. Okay. The person has deep reasons. They feel it for, for, for wanting to do build this business or have that great relationship or that, that great body. They have unlimited energy are they 100% every single time going to be motivated? And I was like, no, there's an exception here. There's something missing. S3, because, and I'll tell you what S3 is in a moment, but they could have that thing too big in their head. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build an entertainment company. And then, but they're not motivated because it's too big, right? And, and or it's, it's confusing, right? And so a confused mind doesn't do anything. So S3 stands for a small, simple step. You know, I realize that somebody's not motivated. They can have the reason, they have the energy, but if they can't break it down into something actionable, because it's this big monolith, a perfect relationship. How do you, I want to have? I want to meet my soulmate and just live happily ever after, right? I want to have the perfect body. I want to build this this million dollar company. Then that could be too intimidating or too confusing or unclear, and people never take the action. So a small, simple step and breaking it down into how do you? What's the what's the smallest task you could do right now where you can't fail? That's going to make give you progress. And it's all about energy management because think about motivation. It's energy management. It's having a purpose and a reason gives you clarity, gives you energy. You know, the things I talk about in the whole chapter of the book on how to optimize sleep and optimal brain diet and lowering stress because chronic stress saps your energy, right? It shrinks your brain. Right now with all the fear going on, this, this pandemic, it's not just a physical pandemic. I and mean, people have their physical hygiene, wash your hands and social distancing. People have no, no strategies for mental hygiene. 
right? And this chronic fear is like, it, it, it wreaks, wreaks havoc on our immune system, right? This whole area of psycho neuroimmunology, how our thoughts could affect our body, you know, stress levels and cortisol and adrenaline, not only does it shrink the brain, but you're right, it shuts off big portions of your critical thinking. And, and you talked about it yesterday, also on the live, there are parts of your brain that determine how to feel about something. Right. So you lose your autonomy because then you just react to things. And again, you, you gave away your power. But for me, and I know this is field tested, not only uh, worth working with clients, but also myself. You know, when I have no sleep, it doesn't matter what you eat. Right. It doesn't it doesn't matter if you're working out or not. Like that's like the master energy control center. So for me, I would always lean into my practices because it forced me to double down. Now, I think there's a gift. I don't know if it's true enough. It's been my experience where when people go through struggles that there's a gift in this, like whether there's a gift of what's going on right now, true or false, I choose to believe it because then I'll operate from that, from that point of view and that perspective, meaning what's the gift in me having learning challenges and fearful of public speaking? Well, I got really damn good at learning and public speaking because that's all I do now for, for, for a living, right? What was the advantage that came out of this sleep deprivation experiment for 10 years? Now, now, now it's much better is I could tell you two things immediately. It forced me to double down on everything I teach because I'm just, I'm just documenting and telling people what I do, right? Otherwise, I won't be able to perform at the level that I do. And then number two, it's forced me also to be very selective in the things I say yes to. Like right now, there's no one, nowhere I'd rather be, no one I'd rather be talking to right now, because as we've heard, like, like I'm so clear, because when you have a finite amount of energy and wherewithal, you know, and, and vitality or, or bandwidth, you don't say yes to a lot of things. Right. And so for me, I just focus on the things that that I feel like this. I'm, I'm completely here and wherever I am, I'm completely there. Yeah, I mean, that's extraordinarily good advice for anybody. And I think that in an age of distraction, one distraction can just sort of sap people's energy in a way that they're probably not thinking about because it's just sort of slowly draining their time like. I think that everybody feels this overwhelming sense of, oh, I don't have a lot of time. But in reality, they're either struggling with motivation, like you're talking about, they don't have their purpose. I'm not sure why they're doing this. So they're, they're not, because I think energy comes in two forms. One, I'm really glad in the book and, and what you just detailed there is at a biological level. And I, I think that people in our space particularly can, can really drift into like the universe and energy, like as some sort of mystical thing. But the reality is that energy is ATP. It is generated by the mitochondria in your cells. And if you don't do things to keep them functioning well, then you're literally not going to have the energy that you need. The other one is sort of a psychic energy, which is I'm fucking excited. And so I get out of bed. Like people often will ask me, you know, how I'm able to, cause I sleep probably, I don't know, average six hours a night, roughly. And I, I've sustained that for years. I don't set an alarm. So what is it that gets me out of bed? One of two things, stress or excitement. That's it. Like those, and admittedly, sometimes it's stress and it isn't something, oh, like I'm really excited to go and attack the day. But a lot of times it's just, I'm fucking amped up about what I'm doing. I have that psychic energy of I'm looking forward to something. And that's something that nature has leveraged is the reward systems in your brain to get you to take action. So we seek 
delicious food, right? Because the, to keep us alive, things that are calorically dense, like the, the brain compels us to seek that out, to remember where we found it. So it's, you know, people can really get excited about a bag of Doritos or something, you know, that, that has been engineered to trigger all of those psychological reward mechanisms to drive you towards it. Same with sex, right? It's things that nature has made intensely pleasurable to make sure that you do it. Now you can build that into your life with things that are ideas, you know, telling stories for me that the idea that you can tell a story to somebody that would help them shape their own identity, which will then change their behaviors, which will then give them a better life than they would have had had they not encountered that idea. Again, I won't give away your Skype name, but your Skype name is a reference to a specific character and a character type. And it's like, exactly, you know, those kinds of things seep into people's subconscious and they become a, a part of who they view themselves as. And wrapping things in that bundle of excitement is exactly what moves people forward. Um, so I, I'm really glad that you've talked about that. And people need to nail down their motivation if they're going to take the kind of action that they want because you're wasting a lot of time with distraction, which you're not even thinking about. You don't even necessarily have that sense of loss because you're not so fucking excited to make something come true that you're going to push through whatever you have to push through to make it real. I, I, I agree, you know, and then that's part of it because once you have the motivation, you need to know, you have to need the right mindset because somebody could be incredibly motivated and they can even have the methods to be able to know what to do. But I think that they're going to, when I talk about mindset for me, functionally, it's this set of assumptions and attitudes we have about something right? It, uh, what would fall underneath mindset would be uh, what we believe is possible. What would fall under mindset is what we believe we are capable of. What would fall under mindset is what we believe we deserve, even. Somebody could be very motivated, they can even have the right methods, but they're going to bump up to a psychological ceiling of, of what they think they're worth financially, or, that, or maybe they'll sell, even self-sabotage potentially, Go, go into that one for me. So this is something that I find really interesting. For a long time, I didn't believe it was real. And now I, I really do think it is real. How and why do people self-sabotage? Okay. And that notion of like, I think I'm worth this. How does that come about? How do people identify it? And how do they get rid of it? So So let's take relationships, right? Like if you had this meme or this belief that you weren't worthy of being in a relationship with Lisa or having this, this wonderful marriage, right? It would affect our behavior because then all the behavior is, is coming from that one belief and we would act accordingly. Just like if people believe that, um, you know, that let's take another area in terms of our health, if they, or their memory, if people believe they just had a horrible memory, they could be very motivated and they even can know what to do, but if they feel like they're stupid, or they're not, they're too old, or they're never, there's, there's, they're not smart enough, that will affect them taking action. Or even if they do the action, that belief, like that four minute mile, that they feel like that that's real, they'll never be able to exceed it until that belief gets changed, right? And so I do believe at some level, so the, the framework, and it, this is an explanatory schema that also liberates people. If you, if you imagine three circles, a mindset, motivation and methods, it's kind of, it's a Venn diagram, right? Three intersecting circles. We have, and you need all three because what I, what I wanted to do here, and, and I'm going to say, answer your question is the book initially was all methodology. 
and I wrote it, you know, cover to cover, and it was all the tactics that I teach on focus, on memory, on speed reading, on critical thinking skills, on study skills. And then when I when I read it, I felt like this is a great self-help manual. You know, this is a great textbook on learning how to learn. And are people going to get results with it? Very small percentage, I feel like, will. And that's hard to say out loud because what's lacking there and what I added to it, it's really three books in one, was the mindset and the motivation parts. Meaning that if you have the mindset of what's possible and you have motivation, where that crosses over, you have inspiration. And there are mind, people that speak on mindset. There's a great book I highly recommend called Mindset, right? There are people that, that speak on motivation or books on motivation. And maybe where it crosses over, you have this inspiration. You have inspirational speakers. You have inspirational movies and, and books. Now, where mindset crosses over with methods, you have this thing called ideation, meaning mindset is what you believe is possible, what you believe that you deserve. It's all going on in the mind. And methods are, are how to do things. You know technically how to do something. So that's ideation, right? But without motivation, you're not doing any of those things. It just ideates, right? And, every, and we know that ideas are, are free and they're out there and that, that mean really hardly anything. What, what can mean more is where motivation crosses over with methods. Because, of course, there's a third eye, not just inspiration and ideation. Third eye is implementation. You're motivated and you know what to do, methods, so that you're in the area of, of implementation. But the goal is you're still stuck in that box. Like I, I say this box because people feel like now they're in a box. They're in a cocoon. They're in a cage, right? And this cage is 3D. It's three-dimensional. And what keeps us in that box are these three forces of mindset, motivation, and methods because you could have the greatest mindset everything is possible and be motivated but using poor crappy methods of marketing or they can be old antiquated way just like with diamond right like they have, if, if they don't upgrade their their skills and their competencies then they're going to be antiquated right because everything is being disrupted so if you use like for in the book i focus on accelerated learning because that that's my field so old ways of learning all old ways of studying rote repetitions so vocal, you know all those things that we learned all those methods this have to be upgraded but people again you need all you need all three because if you have the mindset and the motivation and you're not using the methods like you're building a business Right. Like the old businesses, they have the mindset that, you know, these big corporations that everything is possible. They have a motivated team that's very it's very sustainable, their energy and their, and their purpose. But they could be using like old television commercials or or billboard advertising or whatever they're using. They're not they're not current methods. And so where all three of them combine is that fourth I, which is integration that I talked about in the beginning. Integration is just like you're fully aligned. And that, that for me is a limitless state. And what this model allows you to do, it allows you to, to have an explanatory schema of where you're, where you're, where you are limited, where you have placed a barrier or a border around what is possible. So the limitation, when you're not getting the results you want in business or in your relationship or in your body, you could say, okay, where, where is, where am I being held back? Is it the mindset of what's possible? What I believe I deserve? Is it an area of motivation? Am I not connected to the purpose or the reason I'm doing these things? Or is it my lack of energy? Or do I need to chunk it down into small steps or the method, which is really the whole process and the whole strategy. And it also becomes, so it allows you to pinpoint the area where of constraint so you could get rid of that bottleneck and upgrade your skills in those three areas. 
And it also becomes a, a role modeling framework, meaning that if somebody is very successful in an area and you want to have a mentor like you offer in Impact Theory University, right, like real mentorship from people who have done this stuff, then you can map over this framework and saying, oh, what is their current belief system that allows them to produce this result in terms of their mindset? What do they believe is possible? What do they believe about the world? How is their paradigm or, or, or their lens that they're looking through that makes this possible? Or you can dissect their motivation. How, how, let's list the reasons that get them out of bed doing these things. Or how are they framing it in a way that, that, that taps into a pain or a pleasure? Or what are they doing to optimize their energy so they just will not will not stop or what are the small simple steps that they're taking or methodology you know what are they doing for marketing for leadership for negotiation for building you know a, a, a mass a mass movement right and so it becomes a role modeling tool also also well to dissect and look at the world uh, a blueprint if you will so talking about methodology, there's a story that you tell in the book. I actually don't think you told it in terms of methodology, but when you're talking, it triggered in my head um, about Bruce Lee. Man, you want to talk about somebody. So when I was a kid, I was fucking obsessed with Bruce Lee. I read the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. I was obsessed with Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Um, that, that to me is super powerful. I was really excited to see him in the book. And the story that you tell about him um, – Winning. So in fact, walk people through. So he ends up coming back to or coming back technically to America because he was born here, uh, comes back to America, starts teaching to people that aren't Chinese, which is like massively frowned upon. And then he has to fight. What was that whole thing about? And, and what was the outcome of that fight? So, so Bruce, um, and I, I, it was wonderful because we had his daughter, Shannon Lee, speak at one of our, our conferences recently on his, her father's approach towards mastery and learning and how he had the, you know, all the books and he was always, you know, always, everything was deep, deep practice, deep work. But, um, you know, culturally, when he came here, he um, he was not 100 percent Asian. So there was some biases with with, you know, was, the Asian culture. Was he mixed race? Uh, I, I, a small part. Yes. Hmm. On one on one on one of his parents side. And so 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 being accepted there, teaching in uh, in America, he wanted to teach everybody who wanted to be able to learn. And the elders there in that community basically said, you're not allowed to pass on this information. This is sacred, should only be taught, you know, in, 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 our, in, our, in our culture, in our community. And he was like, screw that. I'll teach anybody who wants to learn. Right. And, and they, they gave him an ultimatum basically saying, well, if you wanted, if you do that, then, then we, you know, then there has to be that they, they challenge him to a battle where they bring in uh, a martial artist deep in, uh, in, in Kung Fu to be able to fight him. And the, basically the stakes were that if Bruce uh, won, he could teach whoever he wanted, but if he lost, he has to close down shop. And in that battle his and I've heard this, you know, having dim sum with, with his wife, Linda, is that he actually, he ended up winning. It took him about three minutes to get the guy to give up. And uh, but he realized out of that, that his current techniques and methodology wasn't enough that that fight three minutes is a long time to to be to be at it. As you know, he, he thought in every bone in his body, cell in his body, that that should have been a real 
knockdown like fast fight and so i made him reevaluate his systems and his process and he formed this his training called jkd uh, jeet kundo which was an integration of the things that worked it's kind of the approach where he's not emotionally attached to uh, to ideology or one methodology he would create an integrated mixed martial arts approach and he would take you know techniques and tools from fencing and western boxing and wing chung because all he cared about was what got the result not with rules and and trophies but like real results on the, on the street and he built for, it from there for kids growing up today this is and look, I am not a martial arts historian by any stretch of the imagination, but I have enough context to say this is really radical. This is pre-MMA. Like MMA, for anybody that knows the the early days of the UFC, like UFC 1, if you get a chance, watch that shit. It was so crazy because you had people that were still purists. You had the guy that won, I think, the first year trained or maybe second year trained in ninjutsu. Um I know that Brazilian jiu-jitsu obviously ended up dominating for years and years and years until people figured that out. But you had a lot of purists, people that fought in a single style. And it wasn't really mixed martial arts for a long time. And so Bruce Lee's coming in when it was like ultra dogmatic. Like you were karate, for instance, to get your black belt. You weren't fighting in you know a mortal combat style. You were memorizing set routines and you would show that you knew the routines and the positions and things like that. And so for him to come along and say, this doesn't make any sense. Like in the book, you tell the story, he wins, he beats this guy, spends most of the time just chasing him around the ring, trying to get him to fucking fight. Takes him three minutes, which is less than a UFC round. And yet in the end of it, Linda comes in and finds him with his head in his hands and she's like, how are you negative about this? Like you just won. You, you've yeah. earned the right to you know, teach. And he was like, because my style is still so limited that the fight drug on way longer. My, I think the quote you give in the book is my preparation hadn't prepared me for this type of fight. Yeah. And I thought that's so fucking brilliant. And so for a guy like that, you want to talk about intoxication of certainty, like to be so certain that what you're doing is right, to teach other people, to redefine the very notion of martial arts, not around forms and tradition, which of course, like, yo, at that time, like tradition was everything for him to buck that. And Jeet Kune Do translates loosely, I guess, from, and this, this is from reading the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, is he said it translates to defend by attacking. And I always thought that's fucking genius. And he was like always trying to minimize the number of moves it took to beat somebody. And so he was like, well, instead of blocking, you know, a punch or a kick, what if you kicked it? Like if you were to kick somebody's hand away or kick their foot away. And he was like, now you're doing damage in defending yourself. And I just thought, whoa, this is so smart. And I, even as a little kid, I was captivated by somebody who so believed in what they were doing that they could tell everybody else no, because that was where I really struggled. Like I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to follow the rules and be a good boy. I am by nature a rule follower. And so for me to become an entrepreneur, one of the first things I had to do was like break out of the notion that we have to follow these rules. And, and I found myself intoxicated by people like Bruce Lee who were like, fuck that. The rules don't apply to me. I'm going to do what works and an obsession with efficiency, man. If you want to win to, to be obsessed with what works is the only obsession to have. And also freeing yourself and liberating yourself from the critics and expectations and the old dogma, because, you know, if we just 
if we buy into those kind of opinions, we just fuel fuel that. And you, you know, you'll lose your drive if you're being fueled by other people's expectations and and opinions and you know these. So freeing yourself from the concern of others, I think you know, I talk about the lies and freeing yourself from from other people's you know like looking bad and 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 failure is a mistake or it's the opposite of success as opposed to it being part of part of success. Right. So I don't want to talk out of class, but um, I want to have dim sum with Linda Lee. What what is she like? Like, I'm intrigued by the type of person. Again, this is what in the 60s, I think, when they got together, um, Mm -hmm. interracial couple would not have been. I mean, assuming that Dragon the Bruce Lee story is in any way remotely factual, uh, her family did not want her dating him. So she's also somebody that doesn't mind going against trends. Like what 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 is she like? Yeah, so absolutely remarkable as you, I mean, I've, so I've had dim sum, like, I'm sorry, dim sum, I've had, I've had dinner or some kind of personal kind with her a few times. She and Shannon actually on his 70th birthday took me to San Francisco and we actually went into the, in Chinatown, into the hospital uh, room that Bruce was actually born and it was their very first time ever visiting it uh, oh. because the a few years later, they actually tore down the, the, the hospital. And so it was kind of a, a very, very special moment. But she is absolutely she's absolutely remarkable individual to be able to, to you know, I mean, her story in, in, in Dragon is, is pretty powerful for people who have seen it. Um, I, one documentary I like, it's called I Am Bruce Lee and uh, Kobe's in it and all these other people that are in Whoa. it about how they were inspired uh, by by this man you know who really set reset the people's definitions of what was what was possible by his very existence of what he could demonstrate you know both on camera and and off but linda is the kindest individual she uh, her and her daughter um, run the uh, bruce lee foundation so we've talked about opening up like a bruce lee museum um, same with the Stan Lee Foundation, which I'm active in. Uh, can you imagine a Stan Lee Museum where you could go and all the things that he is, you know, has accumulated over time, you know, from all the props, from all the Avengers and, and, and the X-Men and, and everything else. But very kind individual, very wise. Um, and she's, she's, she's a good, good martial artist. She studied with Bruce and that's how they actually met. That's right. I forgot about that part. That that's really interesting, man. I am so hungry to do a story. So I've been trying and trying and trying to, and, and with every like angle that I can, um, to pitch them an idea for a comic, of course, that I want to turn into a movie, but, um, to do a comic book with them, they've, they've licensed the Bruce Lee name out to some other comics that have not exactly been amazing. Uh, so I'm sure that's part of their hesitancy. Um, but, oh my God, like somebody, I'm shocked that I haven't seen that documentary because as a kid, like you want to talk about somebody that I wanted to be. Oh my God. Like that guy, there's just something about, so I don't, I don't know that you and I have ever really talked about, I was really hardcore into Taoism. So I, for a long time, I identified the way most kids would say, I'm Christian. I was like, I'm a Taoist. And I read the shit out of the Tao Te Ching. I was obsessed with that. Yeah, like that, that was my whole thing. So what ends up happening is, and you know, for people that follow my story in terms of what we're trying to build, they'll under, begin to understand why. So I watched Star Wars and this character Yoda, like just 
fucks with me. Like there's something about what he talks about that hits me in a way, you know, I mean, part of it is that he's a, you know, fucking puppet. And so that's cool already for a kid. Um, but just the, the wisdom, I never would use that word as a kid, but it just, it really landed with me for some reason. And like do or do not, there is no try. You want to talk about something that from the moment I heard it, right to the power of your ability to speak and sound bites. It's like Yoda was the ultimate fucking soundbite machine. And that one just really stuck with me. So he plants, cause basically Yoda is, um, God, I'm going to mispronounce his name terribly. Lao Tzu, the guy that wrote the Tao Te Ching. So basically talks like him. If, if you've read it, you'll like the first time I read the Tao Te Ching, I was like, ah, George, I see you. I see where this is all coming from. So reading that, I was like, yo, this reminds me of Yoda, which then immediately made me like internalize everything. I get way hardcore into the teachings, the philosophies, because it was sort of mindset before mindset had a name you know, talking about how to think and how to be in moments of stress and pressure and be like water, right? And literally Bruce Lee quoting the Tao Te Ching. And right. so then you mix in Bruce Lee and just like that whole era of my life is, um, is about that, that sort of martial philosophy and the irony of irony. So I actually studied martial arts really briefly in college, but I was so emotionally weak, dude. The first time I got hurt, I just quit. I was like, whoa. Like, this is real. You could really fucking get injured. And I'm so, so, so sad that I didn't stick with it because it was a period in my life where um, it would have just been perfect because, it, you know, I'm there. I'm on campus. It's college. You, like, walk 10 feet and you're, you know, in the place where you're um, studying. And I was just too weak, man. It's, it's, it's a sadness. I've thought about doing it. Do you know who um, Faraz Zahabi is? Yeah. All right. So do you know George St. Pierre? I don't know if you follow MMA at all. So George St. Pierre, one of the greatest fighters ever to live. So um, his trainer is a guy named George or is, uh, Faraz Zahabi. And I went and trained for exactly one session with Faraz. Faraz is one of the most extraordinary humans I've ever met. He is a modern day Bruce Lee. This guy is a fucking philosopher. Extreme. Yeah. Fucking incredible. This guy. Anyway, I trained with him one time. It was amazing. And of course I got injured again. And I was like, fuck, like just the, so I asked myself, th this was incredible, but am I really willing to put the time and energy into fighting, like figuring out what's wrong with my physiology, muscle weaknesses, whatever, like it's all my fault, right? So I know that there's no one to blame but myself. So I haven't done the things that I needed to do to get my body ready that I could go and train and take it seriously. And then looking at the amount of time that it would take. And, and it's weird. It's one of the few things in my life where I'm just conflicted because part of me really wants to do it. And then part of me is like, fuck, does it really line up with the bigger goals that I have in my life? I, I'm actually not sure what the answer is. It might be better. It might be a better life for me if I did go and study and train, but there's that, like, there's, there's something there, man. And I, I still find myself drawn to the way that Bruce Lee talked and the fact that he was such a fucking badass. It's, there's something there, man. There's something to, what do you think about fighting? I think about fighting a lot as a guy that can't fight. I, I, I think about it a lot. It's interesting. Where do you come down on that? Yeah. Um, I'm mixed. It like literally split because the the truth is that um, I, I I watch the UFC and I, I watch occasionally boxing and I watch all the you know I grew up watching Sunday Kung Fu theater so I have this affinity for that 
And then I also know the damage that it could cause because I'm, I'm a brain health advocate at the, at the same time. But I love people competing. And I think the physicality of learning something, you know, the, the discipline, the, you know, the honor, the flexibility, I feel like getting it into your body, you learn things at a, at a totally different level. It's not a logical thing. I think what made Bruce like fully integrated and, you know, this amazing specimen of a, of a fighter and a philosopher, I feel like the, the physical mechanics of him doing things, you know, drove in like a lot of the philosophy, you know, of water and everything else that, that he talked about when he talked about limits and not to put limits on any area of your life, because if you put a limit on one area of your life, it's going to pervade all the other areas of your life. I feel like martial arts was a training ground for a lot of that. And the physicality, I think, is important. But, you know, I also agree that, you know, if you're going to do something, you want to do it, you know, world class and having somebody coming over to the house a few times a, a week might not get you there. And then is it going to divert energy and attention and focus off of this, you know, this enterprise and this empire that you want to build? But I, I, I'm I'm I have experimented with martial arts, you know, as, you know, the Taekwondo classes as a, as a child, I did years and years of Aikido in college and, and post. Um, I did a year of JKD um, because I was so enamored. It, it was hard with my travel schedule to keep up in classes because, you know, when you're on planes and living in hotel rooms, it, it's, it, it, it interrupts that, that routine. But I, I'm fascinated by it because I think it's a great metaphor for 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 life that if you're ground fighting and you know things like leverage you know uh conserving energy you know focal points what's going to give you the most um return you know the elegance that that bruce had in his in his in his style you know in terms of optimizing his energy and the the impact you know that that those are all strategies that can be mapped out in in business Mm -hmm. or in relationships or in anything else but i think the physicality is 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 important and so, but, you know, knowing that we have a constraint of 24 hours in a day and what we choose to put our, our time and talent and our mind behind, you know, it, there's, there's definitely opportunity cost for sure. But I, I still watch fighting for big fights and uh, because I like seeing people who are absolutely world-class compete and, and do amazing things. There's another side to it that I find myself incredibly drawn to, which is, the sort of Jordan Petersonian uh, <laughs> notion of a person should not be harmless. A person should be capable of great violence and yeah. yet keep that in check. And it's, it's one of those things that like, I don't feel like I am capable as capable of violence as I would like to be. I am. Yeah. I mean, look, I've kept my strength up. I work out. And so I, I definitely have a modicum of strength, but when you look at, guys that are trained fighters. Like if I see a guy with cauliflower ear, I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking with that guy. Like there is something to that. The, the ability to, to be violent and going back to Farah Sahabi, um, I had him on inside quest and he said, you know, one of the reasons that I am a trained fighter is I want to know if I am showing someone grace, if they're, you know, fucking with me or whatever. And I give them the grace to calm down, walk away that it, that it's a choice. And then I'm not doing it because I couldn't hold my own. And I was like, fuck, like that is such an indictment of myself, right? That like, man, there are things that I let slide that I'm sure I let slide because I'm like, uh, I don't know how I would fare in this altercation. And as like when I worked out, that was a huge focus of mine was just being 
fucking strong enough to defend my wife. Like that was how in the early days, that was how I got in and I showed up and I fucking pushed hard was like, I just, it's not okay to be as weak as I was when I started working out. And that notion of like making some things not okay, like it's not okay to be weak. And uh, I think it's super important. I think that people overlook it. And so, yeah, like I'm, I'm actually really into the UFC. I fucking love watching people fight. I love martial arts movies, Jim, like your Kung Fu theater. I was all about ninja movies. The only thing I've ever dressed up for Halloween more than once. And I, I probably did it five times was a ninja. I always wanted to be a ninja. Like that was my fucking jam, dude. Any movie with a ninja in it, I was like, sign me up. The 80s was like ninja fucking central. I was about all of it. All of yeah. it. Yeah. You pretty much just gave away my Skype name in this, in this whole thing. So. <laughs> if you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's I'm, I'm 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 the same. I did um, there there there's a there's a great teacher, a friend of mine named Tim Larkin, and he's out in Vegas, and he created something called Target Focus Training, and you know it's controversial because he talks about not only the physicality of protecting yourself and loved ones, you know, because he's he's world class, Hall of Fame, cover of Black Belt magazine as you know instructor. But, you know, but it could cause real physical harm or even, you know, extended harm or, or, or death. And it's controversial because it's he talks about the psychology of violence and how how people predators don't follow the same social norms. And I remember watching videos with him where these the people, the predators, they don't abide by the same the same social norms as we do. And they take advantage of those. And there was, I remember watching this video that just horrified me. It was, um, the, uh, it was a police officer cam 
you know, uh, a police a woman, she pulls over this guy and you can see the cam from her car and she, you know, she's going there and she's approaching the car and in there is the, is the, is the man and suspect and, and his little girl and his little girl, like, like very, you know, uh, you know, and she was, you could tell she was having, cons- you know, restraint because she didn't want to, you know, break any kind of social rules in front of her, you know, his daughter and, 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 and this man just beat her and beat her, you know, because she had that, 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 you know, those, those, those rules, you know, and another, another book, like the good, the gift of fear, uh, the background, if, you, if you're familiar with that book talks about, uh, about, especially for women to be able to trust their instincts, that fear is actually a trigger that, that, that part of you, some unconscious is picking up, but sometimes men or women, we, we suppress it and we don't trust that fear, uh, because we're picking up something that our conscious mind is not picking up and we, you know, we feel like something is there and then something happens and it's, it's a whole, um, great book called the gift of fear where you actually fear is actually a resource for you and a signal to prepare or, um, and so, uh, some, some great resources there. And I, I would love to connect you with the, with these individuals like, like Tim, it, it'll, it'll, it'll change your framework about, because he really gets into the, again, the psychology and the drive of protecting yourself and the consequences, uh, consequence of not being able to do so. You know, I remember I did six months straight of Krav Maga, Right. You know what they train like Israel, like army to be able to do. And after six months, I just couldn't do it. I I think it was very, very effective. But you would have to put yourself in this angry like for me, it was maybe the way I learned it in this angry state where you're just destroying whatever's in front of you. But, you know, for me, I needed to self experiment with it. So I I train in, in various methodologies. I'm not world class in any of them, but I needed to feel what 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 feels right for me that a lot of people are just trying to change a lot of times. Like I just did a podcast on habits, right? How to be able to um, adopt new habits and also delete and get rid of, you know, break bad mm-hmm. habits, right? And so a lot of people always want to make it, usually make a change on behavior. They want to get themselves to work out. They want to get themselves to meditate. They want to get themselves to read more each day. They want to get themselves to X, right? Or they want to stop some behavior. They want to stop smoking. They want to stop eating this food. They want to stop, I always tell people, Stop checking your phone the first hour of the day. I love um, that. And I and I just I, that's like sacred time for me, you know, because I, for me, that's for I think that if you want to be an elite mental performer or you know real life superhero, you don't want to start off by checking the phone. We talked about this in the past, because you're training yourself to be reactive, mm-hmm. right? You're getting your dopamine, you're, you're frying your nervous system with all these likes, shares, comments, and everything else like that. Um, that you've said, if I'm not mistaken, you sell your sovereignty we do. <laughs> if you start by checking your phone. I love that so much. Because you're reacting and firefighting to everyone's, like, well, everything that everyone wants. So you're not really setting, you're not living, you know, it's, you've heard this many times, right? If you want to, you, you win the first hour of the day to win the rest, you know, you win, mm-hmm. you win, you win the day, right? And so anything you want to stop, so like say you want to stop checking your phone, right, in the morning, then there's certain, like, that's a behavior, right? But there's so many other elements to be able to change because some, most behaviors don't stick, right? And so, like, what I'm thinking about when I want to transform or transcend or make a real positive change, I'm looking at all the other areas of ourself. So I'm looking at, for example, our environment. Are, are people setting up their environment to win? At, at a, no, so, so change doesn't just happen at this level of behavior, but what you have to change the environment. So for example, if you want to stop eating a certain food, it helps to be able to have not that, not have that food in your home, mm. right? So you change the environment. If you want to read more, it helps to help set up your environment where you have the books readily available, where you're going to read it because they perform, you know, how I 
how I approach habit change is this area of motivation and this trigger, right? You want to trigger it to help remind you to do the behavior, right? So are you setting up the environment in a way that triggers the behavior that you want? But not only the, 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 the environment is like the when and the where, um, but it's also behavior is also the capabilities because a lot of people want to change a behavior but they're not training in the abilities what i love a lot about your work and your passion is the area of be able to like ability those acquisition new abilities for yourself and also that could also benefit the rest of the world but most people aren't training those habits and those capabilities but also another level of change that we need to address let's say everyone someone's watching this and they have a thing that something they want to change um, and it's not it's not sticking then maybe it's not it's the environment maybe you could check about your habits but maybe it's your beliefs and your values. Some people will not get themselves to read every day because they don't value reading every single day, right? Some people won't, let's say the behavior they want to change is, you know, we did a podcast on how to remember names. I could teach them step-by-step step on how to remember the name of most people that they meet, um, yet they won't do it because they don't value it or because that's not important to them or they don't believe that they can, right? Just like we talked about earlier, saying your brain is like a supercomputer mm. and you know, your self-talk is a programmer runs. So if you tell yourself not go to remember names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program a supercomputer not to. They don't have a belief that enables that. So when I say all behavior is belief-driven, if you want to do this behavior, whatever it is, journal, whatever it is, then you need a belief that allows that to happen because you, that's the program that allows it. So how do you get that belief? Because you're going to feel like you're faking it. Right. And that's where most people stop, right? They, they think, okay, I get it. I hear what Jim is saying that if I am able to shift my belief, then I can get a different behavior, but I don't believe it, yeah. so now I'm just sort of faking it. How do you help people overcome that? I mean, so some people approach it like, they, you know this quote where they, they fake it till they make it, right? right. Um, so my, my thing with belief is, like when I do trainings in groups or are online, my, my favorite way of changing a belief is getting them to do something they never thought they could do, because it opens up another possibility. Like it's, what? So, so, for example, in, in 1954, Roger Bannister, he broke Crazy. the four-minute mile, right? And so, which is amazing, right? Throughout human history, nobody can run a mile in less than four minutes. Now, if you, if you look into it, how he was able to do it is he would visualize himself crossing the finish line, looking at the clock, and it says 3.59. Because he knew that success is an inside-out process. That first it had to happen in here in order for it to happen out there, right? Um, Dr. Wayne Dyer has, is, has a famous phrase where it's not oh, I'll believe it when I see it. It's like, I'll see it when I believe it right. because it's the opposite, right? And so I, I always like modeling the outliers where most people kind of just like kind of dismiss them. I was like, well, what, what's going on there that allows this person to get this kind of result, right? And so with Roger Bannister, he saw it in here, be able to produce it outside just like any innovator or inventor or writer or any creator, right? But what was interesting is after that, what happened? Nobody could do it from the beginning of humanity. All of a sudden, one person does it. What happens after that? Everybody's Yeah, doing everyone it. starts doing it. And so that's the thing. Now, what, what, what happened? Was there a big change that year in you know, training methodology and nutrition? Or No, it was a change of belief, right. right? Because the belief back then was if you ran a mile less than four minutes, not only would you die, it was your heart would explode in your chest. And like, think about like that would, and I'm a runner, right? That would keep me not just running. That would keep me from running for me. That would keep me from running period. Right. Right. And so my, my thing is like, that was a change of a reference. I was just, that shook up a belief. So my goal with people when it comes to learning is get themselves to do something they never thought they could do. And then it opens up another possibility. It literally opens up their, their nervous system for something. What else could be possible? Mm -hmm. Now I would also say that it all plays together where it's not easy necessarily just to change 
a belief overnight. Now that could be a belief because <laughs> it's like a meta belief about what beliefs are. But people, there's there's technologies like Inception, right? Like a dream of a dream of a dream. Um, but I do believe that we have more we have more power to influence our thoughts and our beliefs. And so there are a lot of tools and techniques out there that are resources. Like when I grew up, I you know we, we didn't have any we we had no money, right? I had no education because I was very learning challenge. I didn't know any anybody. Right, so I feel like it's not when people. Are, that's where they'll go, though. When they, when they, when there's a gap, stopgap between where they are and where they want to be, they'll say, "Oh, I don't have the money, or I don't have the education, or I don't have the intelligence, I don't have the network, or anything else like that." And you know what? What you know, as for all incredible success you've had and the value you've created for the world, is that it's not about resources, right? Because we know a lot of people who, who didn't have any resources that were able to impact the world. Um, it's about our internal resources. And what I'm saying is optimizing our environment, optimizing our behaviors, our capabilities, our beliefs and our values, and our identity, right? That At the highest level, our identity, because you can't just change your belief or your values or your behavior even if you don't believe you're that kind of person. You know, that's why I kind of always go to the superhero mythos, because I, I want people to, to claim that identity. I call it the superhero you, that version of ourselves that we're not waiting for Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman. It's like, you are Wonder Woman, you are Batman, you are Superman. It's just we, we have to commit ourselves to be able to unleashing that. Dude, I'm a huge believer in identity, driving behaviors. Um, I have a hard time explaining to people, though, how to yeah. adopt a new identity. How yeah. do you? How have you done it in your own life? I think that's the best. Yeah. Place to I mean, my identity. I mean, obviously, this is a, a work in progress, right? Um, I would say that I would start with the. They they call it the two smallest world words in the English language, but they're the two most powerful words in the English language. It's I am, right? I am because whatever you put after that determines your destination or your your destiny. Right, and I think in your identity is who you believe you are. And I feel like when we're talking about playing to the edge of our limits and really playing there and living in that place where we're stretching, you know, I do believe, and I get inspired every time I see your Insta story. You're like, it's like 4:30, and you're working out, you're doing your 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 work. But that's who you are, right? You don't have to fight it because you can't imagine yourself not doing that. And that's the level of that I that I think is what's most important. So I would think about going through an exercise, and I've done this with friends. I've had them sit, or in groups, we do these conferences and such, and I find I, I have people pair up with someone they don't know, and what they're gonna do is they're gonna do an exercise, I am, and they're gonna talk a bit, they're literally gonna fill in the blanks for three minutes until I call time. Wow. So you have to go like, and you could do this right now, like if you were to fill in I am blank, like I would say, you know, I am a student, I am a teacher, I am a son, I am a, you know, like all this, and, right. but eventually I'll get to a point where I don't know what else to say, and that's what the real interest answers come out of, right? Because it's a great way for networking and knowing somebody else, but it also shows us this really big tapestry of our life to the point that we've gotten to right now where we could, I relate to these aspects of ourselves. And I think it's a nice exercise when we talk about self-awareness, being a superpower, really knowing who we think we are, because if we don't believe that we're a public speaker or we're a great parent or we're a great learner or a genius, then we'll never be able to reach our full potential because that will always be the ceiling that we bump up against. 
And also, you know, when I'm talking to individuals and I'm interviewing them on, on our podcast or just talking to individuals like this, I would be thinking about, especially high performers, because I think that genius leaves clues. And I believe that it can be replicated if you're willing to put in the, the work and the learning and the discipline to be able to do that. Then I want to know, really, I want to know their beliefs. I want to know what they value. Because if I don't know that, if I'm just working on step-by-step hacks and everything else, it won't stick mm. because it's missing a huge part. So I want to model like their behaviors, their values, their beliefs, and also who they think they are that allows them to do those, accomplish those amazing things in their life. And what are some of the clues that genius leaves? So it's interesting when I'm talking about these levels of change, right? The identity level is the who. Right, you know all the the five W's and the H we learned back in school. The, the identity is who somebody is. When we're talking about beliefs and values, that's the why. Why they do what they do. When we're talking about capabilities, that's the how. Right, that's the habit. Right, the skill acquisition. When we're talking the behavior, that's the what. The what they're doing. Right, and then when we're talking about environment, that's really the where and the when. Right, so I'm going to, always going back. If I want to create change, create a new habit, create a new level of learning for somebody, I'm addressing those different levels. And if I if I ignore one with somebody else or myself, then it's not going to stick, right? Because you're not going to have that congruency where it's going to affect, where it becomes second nature. And so going back to this, I think if I'm modeling genius and genius leaves clues, I'm thinking about, okay, where are they and when are they doing these things? So certain people are early birds, some people are night owls. So I could teach people, like I teach people how to read one book a week. I really think leaders are readers that in order to stay competitive in today's day and age, if somebody has decades of experience and they put it into a book and you can sit down and read that in a few days, download decades in the days. I mean, I'm preaching to a choir for everyone who's watching, <laughs> but that, that's, that's a superpower, right? That's a huge advantage. Mm. And so I'm thinking about, but some people, when I'm telling them to practice, and I get these results in 30, in, you know, about four or five weeks, where it's permanent, where they can read 300% faster with the same or better comprehension, essentially read something in 20 minutes that takes, normally takes normal people an hour. Right. But the reason why, but you have to practice, but some people will practice at inopportune times of the day and they won't get the same results. So part of it is the self-awareness, knowing your what they call your chronotype, when's the optimal time to do this? They, for, depending on your body type, there's certain times of the day it's better to work out. There's better times of the day to be able to make love. There are better times of the day to be able to read, to check email, to ask for a raise. So I would think about like if I, geniuses found, find their element, their sweet spot, and they set up their routines and their rituals throughout the day to be able to align with their time when they're most productive. Mm-hmm. Right? If they're not, if they don't have a lot of energy in the morning, working out is probably not as good as doing it some other time. Um, so the when and the where and setting up your environment for success because all your triggers are there that allow them. So I think geniuses set themselves up. So for example, they have their laptop, but they only use their laptop for work and it's anchored. That's part of their environment. It's anchored to get them into flow states to be able to write or be productive. They don't use their laptop to watch binge on Netflix. Right? They have a very, they have an iPad that they use when they do that because that's the state that they want to anchor for that. And they don't use that iPad to do work. You know, setting up your environment like your bedroom. Like we just did a whole episode on sleep hacks and how to optimize your sleep because that's a big, you know, personal challenge for me um, for many years because I had suffered from sleep apnea. It was a breathing disorder. I stopped breathing 200 times a night for at least 10 seconds, which is the equivalent of somebody coming in and choking and suffocating you 200 times a night. That's and so crazy. I would actually, the reason why I'm so adamant about productivity and learning hacks is because for the longest time, for literally five years straight, and you know this, I've slept about 90 minutes to two hours a night total. And you know how you feel when you get like one bad night of yeah. sleep and how like where your focus is, your energy level, and you're, you know, I get these horrible migraines. And it's forced me to double down in my practices. 
you know, in terms of like, I have a limited amount of time. I have to focus on the things that really matter, resources and stuff. But anyway, going back to this, like my bedroom is sacred space, right? It's, I don't do work in there. I, I keep it because that's my trigger to be able to rest, go into parasympathetic right. space. I set up my environment so I have my blackout curtains, I have my grounding pad, so it's to optimize my restful sleep that I do get. So environment, so genius leaves clues, they set up genius environments for themselves. And then the behaviors, most people know because they're intuitive. You know, these people are, are, are investing themselves. There's they're investing in self-care. Um, I always tell people that self-love and self-care is not selfish. A lot of people, you know, they're there for their friends and their family and their clients and everybody else, but they're not refilling their, their cup. Mm. So I think that we have to be, you know, grow givers, meaning we have to, we grow so we have more to give to other people. So we have more impact with other individuals. So the behaviors are reading each day and putting together your to-do list and your I think having your not to-do list is so important. Having been sleep deprived for so many years, you know, I think a lot of people I'm super sensitized to it, but I think one of the success rituals people have, should have is just going through and keeping a consistent not-to-do list. And I think the most successful genius-level individuals, one of the clues that they leave is their not-to-do list is bigger than their to-do list, mm. right? They don't check their phone in the morning. They don't take in, you know, everything is hell yes or it's hell no, right? That's their filter system. They don't, you know, they say no to good, so they can say yes, yes to great. Mm. Um, so the behaviors, then you have the, the habits, which, and then you have the, the beliefs and the values and the beliefs and the values, you know, because I, I watch, this is one of the reasons why I, wa- I watch your show, because I'm just hearing all the time you're listening to these amazing beliefs and values from achievers in all, every area. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you have Wyclef there, you know, and like Melon, you have all these amazing individuals, but you see that there's a pattern that's there, mm. right? And there's an art and but there's a science to it there and there's an art to it and how they express themselves. And then I also do believe that some of those successful geniuses, and I say geniuses, not just, I'm not talking about IQ, right? I'm talking about an incredible you know, artist. I'm talking about an athlete. I'm talking about an advocate, you know, in some area. Um, is they haven't, they're, they're clear about their identity, about who they are and who they are to the, to the world. And so, but I know what they, what they do commit is they do the work and they're committed to lifelong learning. And I feel like that learning, I always tell people, and we've had this, we had this conversation that if knowledge is power, then learning is your superpower. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a superpower that we all have. It's just that we're not taught. Like recently we had uh, Quincy Jones in our audience and I had to pull him on stage, right? And I was just like, I was like, I have to ask you, you know, we are the world and Michael Jackson and Oprah, like, you know, what did you, how did you overcome these challenges that, you know, these problems that you had to be able to create this, you know, this legacy. And he looked at me, he's like, Jim, he's like, I don't have any problems. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, you're 84, you have no problems. And she's like, no, I have puzzles. And I was like, wow, like that little shift of vocabulary changed everything for me. Yeah, because puzzles are like riddles. They could, you, could, you, could solve, you could solve them, right? There's answers for it. And it was a change of perspective. And that was the thing about growing up with superheroes, reading these comic books late at night when I was so impressionable, is for me, a superhero more than anything represents hope. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. That one person can make a difference. Mm. And a lot of superheroes go through a lot of challenges, right? When you think about the most popular superheroes, they're all orphans. Like Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, Iron Man, Spider-Man, they all lost their parents, you know, and they go through these big challenges, but through it, they've, they found their, their dharma, they found their mission. And I find that if someone's watching this and they haven't found it quite yet, maybe I have a belief that, that their mission and that people's mission, their purpose and their patent is looking for them also. But most of us aren't sensitized to it, you know, because it's coming in different forms and we're not open to it as much. And so, 
my, my thing when it comes to success rituals and high performance and, and making an impact is that we all have that sovereignty, we all have that power. And whenever we put it out there and give it out to somebody else, like we're a thermometer, right? The metaphor I always talk about, it's like we're either therm thermometers or we're thermostats. And a thermometer, you think about the functionality of it, it just reflects what the environment is giving it, right? It just reflects the, the temperature and stuff. But a thermostat is different. It sets a, a standard, it sets a goal, it sets a vision, and the environment changes along with it. And I feel like our happiness, our joy, our level of fulfillment, our success, is all dependent on where we put the locus of control. And I feel like we have more power than we realize in these cases. And it's hard because we have to fight media, we have to fight marketing that's always telling us about all the things that are going on in the world. But we live in an abundant universe, right? I mean, we talk about the matrix, you know, which pill people are gonna take. And that determines everything. And every single morning, you, know, you determine what color pill you're gonna take. I have to say, it is fascinating to watch you deal with the sleep issue because going into it, I wondered how your beliefs were going to play, right? Yeah. So a lot of times the belief will kick in and when the problem is solved relatively easily, the belief is intact and everything is right with the universe. But dude, you had to push for years yeah. and years and years, like you were saying, 400 things that you tried yeah. to overcome that. How did you stay focused, committed? Yeah. Like, how do you push through the dark times? That's really my question. Because yeah. your entire life is like yeah. a story of grit and pushing through like the darkest of times. And I would say what keeps me going is I have a belief that everything can get better. Like that's my self-talk. When, when it comes down to what my primary belief is, is I feel that that things could get better because otherwise if I didn't, then I would just give up, mm. right? And I have too many examples of friends and family and just people I don't know, which are just friends of my mind that have superseded much more difficult situations than I have. The other thing it's helped me to do is really focus on the rituals and the routines, the habits, the abilities that really matter, you know, the 80-20 rule, because when I have a certain amount of energy, I can only do a certain amount of things and I want, I need to get more back and I'm still doing the job, quote unquote, of most, you know, three or four people. Right you know, going on stage and traveling to, to buy, you know, like the kind of things that we do, but it forces me to focus on the things that's going to give maximum return. And, you know, and I think we do teach the things that we need to learn the most. I think the best teachers are the best students. And I know I'm going through this, like I had surgery recently to correct this. And so my sleep has jumped up from 90 minutes to two hours to about four hours which doesn't sound like a lot, it's not perfect, but it's progress. And that's my standard. Like I'm just, I'm never looking for perfection because I don't think that the standard exists. I'm just looking to make incremental progress. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I have my daily routine and it's so fine tuned because I think a lot of people suffer from decision-making fatigue, right? That, and this is very strong research saying that you can only make a certain amount of good decisions a day. And after that is spent, you can't anymore. And that's really been fine-tuned in the, in the medical field with surgeons and such in terms of seeing their, you know, where they're making their errors and stuff with, with um, early on in the day or later in their days and stuff like that. But we all, as entrepreneurs or as employees and executives or as parents, we all can make a certain amount of decisions. And that's why, you know, People like Mark Zuckerberg or Tony Shea, they wear the same t-shirts and, and sweatshirts all the time because they don't want to spend, you know, use up one of their decisions thinking, oh, what am I going to wear today, right? right? And so my, my goal is to streamline my, my life, put the routines the first hour of the day and the last hour of the day. I really 
micromanage to the point where it's habitual. I don't even have to think about it. And then, because those are the times of the day where I could really have the most impact. Because later on in the middle of the day, you know, team members need this, there's firefighting this, client needs that. But the first hour and the last hour, I really want to control. So all this really helped develop grit and resilience you know, in my body so I could have the ability to persevere. And also I stand guard to my brain all the time, what goes in. You know, I don't watch like a lot of the negative news and all the market. I, I really focus, like, you know, I, I, I watch and I listen to your show and maybe a handful of little of things I read each day because I need to keep it positive. I want hope and I'm looking for help. I'm looking for inspiration and also instruction. Skill set having, like it has utility. It's, it is meant to be like this, it lets you do things like I, I fuck, man, I really come up empty when I try to find a more powerful yeah. way to say it, but skills let you do things. And that is powerful. And that's like, if I really stop and think about what's the, one of the ideas that I really want to plant in the cultural subconscious, it's that it's go out and learn something. And that thing that you learn lets you do things that are meaningful to you. Right. And right. so architecture becomes the most obvious example. You can build a fucking house. You can build a building. You can build a bridge. And, you know, the metaphors sort of make themselves with actually being able to build a bridge. Uh, but that stuff doesn't happen by accident. But that's, you, you have to set like this high degree of intention and then go about doing it. Um, but I'm beyond obsessed with that. And that to me is power. So this is a whole long way of saying I think that when I talk about power, it turns some people off. But then in that, in fact, this is, you talk about this a lot about forgetting. Why do you think, cause th this to me is a key example of that moment where you actually need to let go of your preconceived notions around what power is in order to actually claim power in your life. It's that, that is very powerful. And I, and I know in a world full of uh, short form social media and sound bites, people, you know, sometimes were trained even, even as, you know, writers or bloggers or putting people putting out content and we have stuff rehearsed. One of the reasons why I could appreciate this show is just you, you throw people off tilt and they have to go raw and it becomes real. Um, I definitely am guilty of using alliteration and mnemonic devices to simplify concepts. So there people could, could, could hold on to it uh, because I feel like if people can't get their attention around it, but then I also want them to go deep because if they don't do that actual digging and the actual work, you know, that's what really ingrains it into their, their being into their nervous system, you know, through repetition, but people don't want to hear that. They, they, they get, they, they get like, I know that already, you know, they'll, they'll, they get bored of the fundamentals. They want the next thing that's super sexy. Like Tom really seriously, really what, it, what did it take to build that company or build that, that your, your social media and people don't want to know that it was like, sacrifice that it was deep work that it was time like you know when people see all the glory and 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 everything else they don't see that below that proverbial meme iceberg of of, of habits and skill development and everything else and and so it's, it's for me it's always kind of you know treading that line but i'm glad in this conversation and i, I apologize for the happened to be in the middle of manhattan who has this time we're having this conversation an opportunity to, to have even more focus and and uh, well, we're training under real conditions for sure. That's actually a, a concept that I find really interesting. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. I forget right now. Oh, I'm forgetting around you. Oh. I actually always feel a little guilty when I forget shit around you. Uh, so 
the, the notion of don't think of things as performance, think of them as an opportunity to practice. And mm -hmm. so I'll do this a lot, especially in Impact Theory University when we're filming that. What people don't see is around the fucking camera, people are like scrambling, especially in the beginning. We had a lot of technological hurdles that we were trying to overcome. And so the fucking team is going mad, right? They're putting things up on a screen, but they don't, they're not sure how it's working. So things are like flashing up and disappearing. The person running the teleprompter has never done it before. So it's like moving up and down. And then I've got people like walking around because something like went out and I'm like, I'm going to keep doing this shit. Like nothing is happening around me. And it's such a powerful moment if you flip it. Cause most people are like, fuck, this is performance. Cause we do them live. So there's people here watching live. I've only got one shot. We don't edit this shit. So like, fuck. And they start panicking and their performance actually goes down. But if you switch out of this isn't performance, this is just practice. I'm going to do hundreds of these things. So none of them are sort of the final one. I'm going to just practice like how, how Zen can I be with like all this chaos around? And then it becomes fun. But it's like when you're thinking, fuck, I've got to nail this right here, right now. That's when people spiral. That's when your performance goes down because there's like this huge chunk of your brain is panicking. Basically, you're kicking into anxiety. You're in fight or flight mode. Um, so like you said, performing in the real world conditions and not looking at it as like, oh, this is my one chance to do something. It's really powerful. Yeah, even even writing or having this conversation be right before we got on, I was like, you know, I was I'm, I, I was saying to your your team like I don't use Skype. This is not something that's new. It's I you know I always uh, use Zoom, and I was it wasn't loading on my main computer, and I was telling you that intelligence is context dependent. You know, I could do do really well in some areas, and in some areas I, do, I have not developed that skill set. But um, do you feel like when you are on like right now right this is the recording do you feel like you've built that skill set um well so i on this thing in particular the ability to stay focused and to let go i am i am constantly practicing but yeah i think that i am pretty good at it i'm pretty good at it though because i do things in my life all the time that i look at as practice and one that i'll give people that th this is you want to talk about something that's overlooked and a big part of this is because um, I failed to turn Siri off, so uh, that my bad. So she may every time I say H E Y, she's gonna pop up. Um, so growing up in the '80s, video games were frowned upon. Parents were like, "You're gonna rot your brain and all this stuff." And then, of course, we watched you know people generate enormous fortunes. It eclipsed the film industry. It's just it, it, it has become a beast of such untold proportions. I don't think people understand really how big video games are. And part of the reason is there's there's real neurological training that's going on. So I play first-person shooters, or I should say I play a first-person shooter called Destiny 2. Fucking love it, man. It is so much fun. I have a ton of fun with Lisa and my sister, and we're a fire team. It's amazing. So there's that, right, the family bonding. But the part that I use all the time is I know on the other end of that is a 14-year-old kid in Ohio that wants to kill me and then teabag my body. And that is so frustrating and it's so obnoxious and it fucking literally lights a fire. So in those moments, I'm like, this is a perfect time because if you elevate, like if you click into fight or flight, if you let yourself get panicky, then your performance goes down. So it's like it, literally every weekend for three hours a day, I'm in this mode of I'm practicing staying calm in what could be a sort of fight or flight moment. 
the cool thing about video games is like I'm constantly asking myself, okay, if this whole practice idea, how do you get the stakes up? Because when there's no stakes, then you don't have the real emotional reaction that you would. And it's actually dealing with the emotional reaction is the very fucking thing you need to practice. Mm-hmm. So video games are a rad way of you, – you have this – completely false sense that there's actually something that matters here, that there are real stakes and I'm, you know, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to avoid that 14 year old, you know, just mopping the floor with me. And because I treat it as practice, I get this like real world meditative thing over and over of when I most, every impulse in my being is to heighten is to tense or to tense is to clench. I actually practice letting go, relaxing, being more effortless, finding flow. And it's been huge. So in moments, being on stage, it is literally, I'll think about playing video games as I'm walking on to speak to, you know, 3,000, 4,000 people. And it's like, ah, oh, relax, expand. It's, uh, it's, that's interesting because I was going to ask you the question, can you see that map out into other contexts the training that you're doing on the couch, playing that first person shooter shows up on stage. It shows up on video and. It it does. It shows up everywhere. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Do you, um, so I know in the book you talk about flow. How do you instigate flow? How do you trigger that? Is that something that you think about or is that just you've got so many hours now that it just happens? For certain things, completely. When I go on stage, I get butterflies. And Do you uh, really still? still? I can't believe I'm actually asking you that because people think that about me. But I'm actually surprised. You are so at ease on stage. Yeah. So you know what it is, is as soon as I get on stage, I get triggered because I put my focus on service because I can't, I can't feel fear and focus on, on them at the same time. And also those stakes are very high, like in your video game, whether they're real or they're imagined. My stakes are, I remember being in that audience 25 plus years ago and how a speaker changed my life and and I'm talking to that person and I put my mind in there even before going on stage to put my, my mind at ease. I'll go around and sit in various chairs if I have permission and time to do that. So I could see it from their point of view. And I actually go through like a video game in my mind, uh, like this little mental rehearsal as if, and I would see myself performing from their point of view. And I don't know what it does, but it, it paints, uh, an environment for me when I'm on stage to be able to see it from their perspective and hopefully be a better teacher because of it. Um, see from different points of view, but I I am nervous right before I go on to the point where sometimes I want to throw up and this could be, 
this could be even, and these are just triggers, and I know this is something I'm personally working on, but it, I feel a moral obligation. Based, I, I swear to God, in the deepness of my soul, I'm thinking, like, shame on me if I don't go out there and do the best that I can, and I let these people down who pay good money, who pay, you know, who are, who are investing their time to be there, and maybe there's one person that's really, their life depends on something that, I, that I'm that i saying. Whether that's true or not, I put the stakes up there, much like a 14-year-old kid that I might be playing video games on and, and want to level up. So, But it is much like a video game. I, I grew up playing video games as a kid. Um, I, I had a lot of escapism, you know, because I, I felt like I was deficient in so many ways. Um, and so comic books, I would escape video games, but not video games like today. I honestly haven't embraced anything in this generation because the one time I did with my nephew, it was just, I couldn't keep up. I just couldn't. And, but I grew up playing video games and right after high school, taking the bus to Nathan's hot dogs and putting in, you know, quarters upon quarters growing up on like Atari and ColecoVision and playing Zelda and solving those problems because it would take me out of my world. And that was more real for me. Even the metaphor of Dungeons and Dragons, I don't know if you ever indulged in it. It's not a, a video game. It was just like a, this imaginary role-playing game. But I had a piece of paper and I had like attributes, like this is your strength on a, you know, numbers one to 20. And this is my dexterity, one to 20 or 18, or this is my intelligence, my wisdom. And I I found by going on these quests that by getting experience, I could level up and the dungeon master who managed it would give me an extra point here, a point there. And I would be seeking treasure um, to be able to have that power in that imaginary setting in that world. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting that if I can map that out and turn the world into a game and occasionally I'll, I'll treat it like that, where this is, I'm getting experience points here for going on stage or every single time I take a cold shower or every time I do something that's difficult for myself and I force myself and I don't back down. You know, I built my career on that. It wasn't always easy when I got started because there was no internet. I would I would literally rent space in a church or somewhere, put flyers, go door to door to door to be able to do that. But I, I but it was just same the same methodology and, and mindset. It was just, how do I serve this person here, this person here? And it's just so, kind of- I want to go back. So you said um, that you were sitting in uh, the theater or whatever at one point and the speaker said something that changed your life. What was that? Who was it? What they said? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because there's, there's this, there's this, this is Asian dude. I honestly don't even know who the speaker was, um, but it, I was there. And for some reason I just, I just got it. It was just, it wasn't even, it was what they said, but it was also how they were presenting. Now this is over 25 years years ago and i was just this you know this punk kid that didn't know anything for anything but i would um you know i was going to a state school and on the weekends i would get a bunch of my friends together at college and instead of going out drinking and doing everything else we would put money in to rent a car to drive two and a half hours to go to uh like a seminar and at this seminar there was some guy that was just speaking and for some reason i just got that i had responsibility Meaning that I think some of the greatest speakers, they can inspire you. That's one thing. But if you can identify with something that they're saying and know that I'm at cause, I think that that's a fundamental like, core belief that I have, that I created my whole life, that, that, that through the choices or some, some, some way I am responsible. And that, that was the message is that I'm, I'm at cause. 
Mm. I love that. So we were doing an Instagram live the other day, you and I, and you actually asked a really cool question, which was if you could plant one idea in people's mind, what idea would you plant? And you said that, that you're responsible for your own life, um, which I think is extraordinarily important, extraordinarily important. Maybe one of the most important ideas that somebody can have. Why do you think that matters? And why do you think most people don't do it? Well, I, th I think having these global ideas um, or these I talk about in the book like seven lies, and it's it basically these these false beliefs, these ideas. Lie again, it's an acronym. It's an easy thing to remember. So you say you got to give people the acronym, man. Come on, I, I do because it's because sometimes I only have you know five minutes with somebody um, or or something. But a lie, they, they really not, do work. So my beef with stuff like that is only that it's so facile that. Yeah that people then begin to discount it. It's fucking important, right? Things yeah. that rhyme, which is just one example, things that right. rhyme appear something like three times more true or I mean, some absurd stat where it's like the human brain is so hungry for a mnemonic device of some kind, something uh, yeah. that it, it looks for those patterns. And when there's a pattern, it, it retains the information. So I'm, trust me, I'm not denigrating. I'll fucking use an acronym wherever I get one. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, lie is an acronym you use in the book. What does it stand for? Yeah. And it stands for limited idea entertain. And it's not necessarily true. It's just that something that we're giving energy to or giving attention. We're deciding in that moment that this is something that, that is true. The other thing about acronyms and mnemonics is they're easy to spread. And my goal is for to teach, you know, a mother so that they could teach their spouse or they could teach their kids because it's easy to be able to repeat and it becomes mimetic, kind of like this virus of, of, of the mind, if you will, and it goes goes on and on and on. But um, going back to these global beliefs, I think that if you change some of these core beliefs, there's a ripple effect, meaning that if you believe that you are solely responsible for your life, that you are not a victim, that you are creating your reality, then that changes all these sub beliefs. Like, for example, that if you uh, aren't making the money that you that you, you want to make or that your your relationship is you feel like there's turmoil there, or you have some health challenges or whatever. If I take responsibility, it changes all these like singular beliefs about who's at fault or what I could do in that moment to improve my health. It gives me at least my 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 agency back. You know, we talked about it in an early episode of, of Impact Theory or or inside West, we talked about like your sovereignty, right? I feel like a lot of people give away their power to their family, to their friends based on their expectations or their opinions of you, how you're going to look and what failure is interpreted, you know, as, and it, it slows us down, you know? And so this global belief that I am responsible is a nice way of what, since I've had that for so long, then it's just like, I'm responsible. And, and I know I'm not responsible for the economy and what's going on right now, but by me claiming it, then I feel like I have some power over it. Dude, now, now you're into a zone. I'm so passionate about this and it is, I can't fathom that this is a con, um, I keep wanting to say conversational. That is not the word controversial. Wow. It's, it's a controversial idea. I can't fathom that that's true. But when I first started like becoming, uh, I'm going to start putting my ideas out into the world. I started blogging and I wrote a blog that I thought you can't imagine how excited I was to write this blog. I was like, Oh my God, if I had known this back in my early twenties, it would have sped my life up so much. I'm like, okay, what's the best way to explain this? And so I write this article called It's All Your Fault. And I'm writing about like, okay, imagine you get hit by a drunk driver. And I like do this whole thing. And 
the punchline was you decided to get in a car because I paint this whole picture of you stop at a stoplight. Uh, you pull in between two cars. There's a car in front of you, cars on either side. Your car breaks down. Your horn stops working. You see somebody barreling behind you. They crash into you. Whose fault is that? And I was like, no one is going to say it's your fault. Not the insurance company, none of your friends, your parents. Nobody is going to say it's your fault. But I'm here to tell you, it's all your fault. And I was like, man, I'm empowering you. This is the most amazing piece like, of information ever. Like, This is so great. Because it means you could have done something differently or you can do something differently in the future. I'm not saying beat yourself up. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying, like you said, retain your agency. People flipped the fuck out. People wrote in, you're victim blaming. What the fuck? Like, I can't believe this is horrible. This is disgusting. How could you? And I was like, whoa. This to me is exactly where people get stuck in their fucking life. It is emotionally difficult to take ownership of everything in your life. Like you said, COVID-19, it's not my fault. But if I retain agency in that and go, okay, what can I do now to make a change, to go in a different direction? Now, all of a sudden, I remain active. I'm in problem-solving mode. I'm not beating myself up over it. In fact, if I were to say the thing that has really allowed me to progress in my life is I can look nakedly at my inadequacies, my failures, my mistakes without feeling badly about myself. Mm. If people could do that, like if you can understand, oh, it's all my fault, that doesn't make me a bad person. It just means I'm still in control, right? I've got agency in this situation. Um, That would change everything. But most people immediately go to, well, if this is my fault or if I'm in control or if this is my responsibility or whatever, then somehow I'm a bad person. Right. And so how do you deal with when you're – because I've seen you on stage and not many people have the impetus to be able to say, ask me anything. And you just you're dealing with their issue right at that in that moment. It you know, some people would feel very vulnerable because they don't know what's coming. You know, I don't ask like before we had this conversation. I didn't I didn't say like Tom, can you feed me the questions? <laughs> because there's a certain level of expertise where you go through it, and if it's not there, then you're you're learning something, and you'll be able to progress. How do you? But it's hard for somebody who's been who has been identified as victimized. This happened to them. Right. Somebody came and they 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 murdered somebody or they raped or they did something to them. And I'm not saying that that it's not acknowledging and saying that person is right in any way. But it's, again, giving you your power so that you could decide what to focus on. You could decide what things mean. You could decide, you know, how to how to feel about something, because what's the alternative? What's that you're just at the effect of everything. And maybe because I grew up with these kind of challenges and I was isolated and I was kind of marginalized that I was always searching for what we started with, you know, like a, a, some from, from some monochrome of, of power, because I felt powerless. I felt extremely limited. But do you believe in then when what do people ask you online or on your show? Do you believe in luck then? So I, I do. And I think that acknowledging. So my thing is, I, I want to deal with the messiness of reality. So I'm going to I'm going to talk in sound bites whenever I can. I'm actually fucking terrible at that. That if I had one criticism of me as like a personality, I am God awful at giving short, super succinct answers. But the thing that I'm really good at is existing in the world of nuance. So I'm going to speak in like global, um, very clear, punctuated language. It's all your fault, right? Even though I know the truth is no, of course it's not. But what I'm trying to get at is I want people to take the principle away. But without speaking in definitive language, people get mired in nuance. So my thing is let the nuance be the advanced class. So I'm 
more than willing to say, luck is real, 100%. Very easy to look at my life and say, oh yeah, there's, if I hadn't met this person, like my wife, fuck. If you boil down to how I ended up meeting my wife, because she grew up in England, I met her because a friend of hers happened to give her a brochure for the school that I was teaching at in America. Now, if that, whoever put that flyer down, hadn't put the flyer down, or if the friend hadn't seen it, or if Lisa hadn't been complaining and saying she wanted more technical skills, any, any piece of that chain breaks down and I'm either not married or I'm married to somebody else and my life could be radically different. That was luck. I didn't do shit about that. But at the same time, I was prepared and everything after that, right? All the energy that I put in from the time I was an early teenager into being a high level communicator that could have a good relationship. I literally thought about that. My nightmare at the age of 14 was being in a loveless marriage. So I was constantly researching communication. Like, how do you do this? How do you have a functioning relationship? Like all of that was really important to me. So I'm putting in you know, my 10,000 hours around relationships, around communication, around understanding myself, like all of that. So yes, this moment of luck happens. My wife happens to cross my path. But in that moment, I was prepared to make the most of it. So my thing is, yeah, sure. Luck exists. Yes. Bad fortune exists. Yes. Shit is going to happen to you. Yes. COVID-19. Who the fuck would have thought the number of people, Jim, that are going to go the fuck out of business because of COVID-19 is crazy. Now, I, as a business owner, I could be thinking about that, like, whoa, like this is going to be a level of disruption or somebody that has money tied up in economic financial vehicles. What the fuck's going to happen to all that, right? Am I about to go broke? It's like, cool. I could spend my time fretting over that. Or I could say, oh, Jim, one yeah. thing I know is if I keep my mind in the right place and I'm looking for the opportunity, then I'll take advantage of the opportunity. So one person sees COVID-19 as lucky. Oh my God, can you believe? Um, I heard Noah Kagan talking about, hey, boys and girls, right now there's going to be a wealth transfer. The people that understand how to leverage COVID-19 will win and their fucking fortunes will be made. Other people are going to panic. They won't see the opportunities and this is going to destroy them. Who's lucky, right? Is it really luck or is it? Yes, circumstances are, are random. There's so many things that we can't control. But if you've prepared right? If you come, as I say, seeking power, right? The ability to close your eyes, imagine a better world, open your eyes, get the skills you need to execute against it. If you have the skill set to deal with something like this, luck becomes irrelevant. It really becomes a question of skill set. The best thing I heard about luck, I forget the guy's name who said this, but he said, luck is like a bus and another one is always coming along, but you have to have the fare to be able to get on. And the fare is your skill set. I love that. Because right now, with all those businesses that you mentioned that went out of business, it doesn't mean there was bad leadership or that that entrepreneur didn't have you know amazing skill sets. It's just who could have predicted this happening at, at this at this time and at the same time taking you know control and responsibility. Because it's not about truth; it's what we decide in that moment that either is going to empower us to be able to move forward or make us shrink and just kind of curl up. And what do you in mean? That- it's not about truth. Because that, that is something I think I agree with violently. Yes. So I, I believe that when we're going back to luck again, that it's, yes, there's some, these people maybe are unlucky, all these businesses that are going out of business, but it doesn't mean that they weren't, they didn't have great skill set as, as a leader or as a business individual, but maybe, you know, through circumstance, who could have predicted what, what happened, right? And so is it true that, 
that I could have an infinite memory. The truth is, I don't know, but I choose to believe that I have that potential. So that way I could, you know, I'll do the things necessary to be able to show up, show up that way. Is it true that, is it absolutely positive that me and my, and my significant other, she and I are going to be together forever. Like I choose to believe that's the truth um, because I'll work towards it. It's not that, you know, like even having, this is a little self promo, but even having Will Smith on the cover, like of promoting the book with his endorsement, I had to work as if he was going to do it. Otherwise I want to operate it as if he, he would say yes. And his team, when his lawyers would say yes to that, but it wasn't true, but I operated as if, yes, of course he'd want to be able to do that, to support it. Otherwise, if I believed that that wasn't a truth, I would never have done the things in the level of intensity and the follow through if, if, if it wasn't. So I chose to believe that. And am I disappointed sometimes when those things don't work out? Yes, for the moment. But then I always feel like I choose to believe that in some way this is serving me, you know, and that's my choice to believe what happens to be true at that moment. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that, that concept. And the reason I'm obsessed with it is your actions and your behaviors are going to follow what you believe. And so it's like, yeah, do I know that we're all limited? Of course I know that we're all limited, but the odds of you making a mistake in your life because you believe you're capable of less than you actually are is basically a hundred percent. The odds that you'll make some mistake because you believe you're capable of more than you are, are very, very low. So most people stop themselves. They don't overextend. Now race car drivers might find themselves where they think they can, you know, get a gap at 250 miles an hour that they can't, they crash. Okay, fair enough. But for the most part, that's not where people are playing. Most people, they don't even go down the path of getting better at something because they just tell themselves that they can't. Um, so like your book being called limitless. Okay. I, I will say it is pretty clear that humans have limitations, but they're so far away from where I feel like I'm at now that I just don't waste any time thinking about where I'm limited. I try to put my time and energy into just, okay, what do I care enough about that I'm going to put in the energy to get better? And I do think that's a fair question. Like, are there things that you want to be good at, but you just acknowledge I'm not willing to work at it to get good? And that, and that's, that's the perfect statement because it's really about, about choice you know, whether we're going to be dedicated to do that. Um, I feel like at some level, maybe physical things are sometimes difficult for me. And they've been like that since I was a kid. I was never the first one picked to be on a team for something. And so maybe I was imprinted with, the, you know, that kind of inadequacy where I felt like I wasn't physically capable of certain things. Um, you know, taking a, people to dance or to be able to do like a martial arts for some reason, I didn't get it like other people get it. And I'm very conscious of like watching other people and thinking in my mind, like I did when I was, when I couldn't read, I was like, wow, that person is doing it so much better. And I really, and I know stuff and I practice, but the effort isn't getting the same kind of reward as maybe the people uh, around me. But there are definitely areas. I mean, there are certainly limits. I mean, some people can't bench, they get really, really strong, but eventually they can't bench press a car. Right. So there's some kind of physical, their physics that, that, that are involved. But I agree that most people err on the other side where they, they err on, you know, on less than what they're capable of. You know, when you have your, your interviews with David Goggin, and this has been pretty, pretty well established that there's always another. I believe that limitless is not about being perfect. I believe the idea of limitless is that we could progress and advance beyond what we currently believe is possible. 
in ourselves with the right commitment and dedication and, and discipline and work ethic. To, to that point, the thing that um, shocked me the most ever, I'm going to look this up here, um, is push-ups. What do you think the push-up world record is? For the number of push-ups in a yeah, minute? Or consecutive push-ups. Yeah, God, I can't believe I was right about this. So the number of push-ups without stopping, without, without getting stopping. out of the push-up position. So I think he could rest you know, in, in that position. But uh, number but of consecutive push-ups. Would you believe 500? I would, I would believe more just because of the nature of the conversation. I mean, uh, for me to think about doing 500 push-ups. How about 5,000? Would that be just absurd? That would be it, yeah. Uh, I, to me, when I was like, no, literally, no one could do more than 1,000 push-ups. I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. And the fact that it isn't 5,000, it's 10,500 is so startling. Uh, it's like, so in Limitless, you talk about the Roger Bannister effect where it was like everybody believed the four-minute mile, but then he ends up breaking the four-minute mile and, and people didn't think it was humanly possible. And then once he does it within a year, some un, like just ridiculous number of people end up doing it. I think a year later, three people break the four-minute mile in the same race. And this is a record that had stood for all of human history. So right. it's like, okay, that's crazy. One person shows that it's possible. And then all of a sudden, hearing that a guy could do 10,500 push-ups, like <laughs> – that that's so crazy to me that it really does show you that it's crazy to me. And I would never have been able to do it because I just had a belief that I, mean, I, I didn't even think I had a belief. It just seems so self-evidently true that you couldn't do 10,000 pushups. I mean, it's just so bizarre. And, and I can map out for people who are watching this and in, in areas of what they feel like is possible to bake in turn, you know, in, in, in income or in their health, or can people really have this level of depth in a, in a relationship? I would imagine that it, it, it shows up in different places. You know, I, I believe I have a core belief that the, the, the most infinite resource like on planet earth is, is human potential, you know, when we're talking about the mind, because I can't see a limit on people's creativity. I can't see a limit on people's determination. I can't see a set limit on their, on their imagination. And I feel like part of that, I mean, having to do when we're talking about the power of the mind, I feel like we, we haven't even begun to explore the possibilities of what people create. Like I remember, you know, years ago when you were, we were talking about, about your, your comic, Right. And then I was like, it was very, very early stages. And, but there was, you speak with such certainty that you just like, I'm like, it's undeniable. I'm like, yes, this is, this is obviously, there's no way I would bet against this guy because of the certainty. And then, you know, over time through just the, you know, forced effort and, and call it will, call it whatever that, that force is of skill development and dedication that it, you take that, you exert your power. I suffered and struggled. Um, I had the brain injury when I was five years old, and I suffered all through elementary school, all through middle school, all through high school. And, um, and so it was like a good 14 years. Of, and a lot of it was, um, you know, this thing where it's, even as a young age, maybe I've, I was pretending that everything was fine and I'd be struggling. It's kind of like that metaphor of a, of a duck on a pond, and you see it's like all calm and, mm. and relaxed, but underneath it's just like hustling really, really right. fast. And people don't always see what's below the iceberg. But for me, I, I struggled privately. And um, my parents, because I grew up um, with these challenges and um, I didn't have a lot of people to talk to because when you have, feel like you're broken, you don't connect with a lot of people. So on top of everything, I was also uh, 
painfully shy. I was introverted, but I was also shy and very uh, reserved. And I would always sit in the corner. And I honestly, I've never, I've never talked about this publicly, but I ask everybody, you know, what their superpower is. And I feel like that my superpower growing up as an insecure kid who felt like he was broken and taught that by adults, um, that, uh, that my superpower was being invisible. Whoa. Like I didn't want to be seen. I mean, I ultimately did want to be seen and I want to be heard like most of us and accepted and acknowledged, but I didn't want the spotlight. Like I would do, for example, um, my parents instilled like this work ethic about working, working hard. And so I would do a book report and even though it was more difficult for me and to the point where I'd be like, okay, I, I have it, I was done. But if a teacher asked me in high school to present it in front of a class, I would actually lie and say I didn't do it. Wow. And I would take a zero and because I was so terrified of being in front of a group of people and, uh, and I would throw it out on the way out of class. And it was really scary, but my but my parents always held that there was there were there was more that there was purpose that was that there's a reason that I was going through these challenges. I mean, my mother actually went into um, became a special ed teacher because she really wanted to to help because that nobody yeah, knew because of what you went because through? of what I went through, wow. and so because so they were very caring like that. But the challenge is, is we don't know what we don't know. And, um, and they did the best they could to be able to help me. But what they did instill in me was that there was a reason, you know, that through going through struggles, just like when they came to this country, um, all of us go through struggles, right? In our health, our relationship, whatever it is, but through struggles come, come strengths. Mm. And people don't talk about this as much. And, you know, I probably have a post-traumatic, you know, stress from it, um, going through brain injury after brain injury. There's also post-traumatic growth. Which, which you know, like a lot of, it's not as widely talked about, but there's some people that go through immense amount of trauma and difficulty and challenge, but they come out of it actually more empowered. That they wouldn't, they say to themselves that because of going through this, I found a, a new strength. I found my superpowers. I found a new meaning in my life. I found a new level of commitment. I found a strength, a mission, if you will. And they wouldn't, just a lot of them attest that they wouldn't trade that experience, no matter how painful it was at the time. For, for anything. And, and, I, and I find that growing up with reading challenges and, you know, I couldn't read for an extra three years. I pretended how to read, um, you know, and, and it's, it's like, um, it's like the imposter syndrome. It's like they have this image of how they want to be projected to the world. Mm. And then they have this image of what they fear they are. Right. And then they have their real who they are. But um, I think a lot of people are suffering and overloaded and overwhelmed and they're depleted because they're trying to hold these images in place. Mm you know, and, and, and then be themselves also as well in different contexts. So that's why I love you because you are the same on camera and off. And there's, there's a congruency, there's an authenticity that's there. Um, and I feel like a lot of people expend unnecessary amounts of energy trying to hold up this image of their ideal self to the world. And then they have this image of, that they fear so it's going to be revealed to somebody else. And so growing up as a kid who couldn't read, I would pretend I understood things. Like teachers would explain things and I didn't want to be the only one who didn't understand and I would pretend, but in private I was really suffering and struggling. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things where you wonder why, like my two biggest challenges growing up were learning and public speaking, so crazy. which is the universe has a weird sense of humor because that's what I do for right, my, exactly. my mission now. And, um, so it's interesting how things so work. So how, how did you push through that? Because so as somebody who's seen you speak publicly, you're so good at it. Like you have so much energy and enthusiasm and projected confidence, um, even if you're like yeah. secretly overcoming something. How, how do you go through the dark time of feeling like 
you've been identified as the kid with the broken brain, really struggling, truly, like how do you get your self-talk going in a positive direction? Like everything would be pushing back against you. Yeah, I think, um, so it's even, I even get nervous with doing things like this, and you know that, right. you know, even being on camera or having my picture taken, or there's still this residual, I always get butterflies, incredible amounts of butterflies before I go on stage every single time. Um, how I get through it, I mean, we talked about, um, we've talked about previously about mindset and about the importance of having a growth mindset. Mm. Um, and I always talk about the second G for me is, is grit. And these and, are the three G's of the superhero. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, so I think having a, a powerful mindset, being unstoppable, um, or just having the ability to go and, and succeed, whatever success is for you, you have, you have to always, you have to be growing because if you're not growing, then you're just, you're, you're backsliding, right? right? But you also need a level of grit. And I think grit, just like growth, is a muscle. It's something that you need to sharpen through challenge because through the challenge, you get all the change that comes from it. Um, I would say that if I'm, if I'm effective having an impact on stage, and we all have a stage of our life, whether it's on a physical stage or you know, just going through our day, right. um, that I challenge my, my grit and my, my ability to persist. Um, I feel like that the most successful people on the planet that, that having the level of impact that, that they want to have to go through challenges. And they, it's a mad, you know, just like the hero's journey that we've talked about many times. Mm-hmm. And, and so how I get myself through it, I monitor my self-talk because I think that's important. I feel like um, with a name like Quick, you know, you have to be a runner, right? And so I had to be a runner back in school and to be careful of getting speeding tickets and everything else like that. But I was remember I was reading a book years ago on uh, preparing for a marathon. And one of the chapters, again, uh, was on the psychology of it. And it said this verbatim, you know, because I'm the memory expert. <laughs> it said, your, your, your brain is like a supercomputer and your self-talk is a program that will run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. And I always tell people that, um, and, and now I, I, don't, I don't think the brain is like a supercomputer. It's, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a weak metaphor for, for, uh, for what it is because, you know, this is like a living computer that could do so much more and has different um, capabilities. But I would say that um, your self-talk is important and it is the program that we will run. And I always tell people to keep it positive, keep it empowering um, because your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. Mm. Right, and you have to be careful what you say to yourself because it's this unconscious command. So I would be very careful, like when I'm get, when I get nervous or I feel like I'm. I think some of the most successful people live at the edge of their limits, you know, and they and they play there also as well. And so whenever I feel in my nervous system, I feel like I can't do it, then I feel like I really must do it because I feel like how we do anything is how we do everything. When did you have that realization that you could? overcome some of the fears by knowing what your motives were. Uh, you've had many guests address this, and I really do feel, and congratulations, also, with Mel and Simon, those videos are like, you know, hundreds of millions of people watch it. Um, and I feel like I was having this conversation, um, I did a talk in Silicon Valley, and afterwards Bill Gates comes up to me, and I asked him what superpower he could read one, and he's like, the ability to read faster, and I was like, oh, I could totally help with that, and, and I, I believe in reading, and I know you're an avid, avid reader, and we share that commonality, uh, that leaders are readers, um, but we're talking about the future education, and I was taking a, a, the approach from adult learning theory and brain science, and he was approaching it from more technology and scale, and somebody who was listening asked the question, saying, is there anything missing? You know, what's missing, absent theory and, and, and technology. And we were talking about it, and we came to the conclusion is understanding human motivation. 
like the because motive matters, right? And what drives us? I always tell people that there's a success formula. I subscribe to it. I call it H cubed. That it goes from your head to your heart to your hands. Especially in the personal development space, or what they teach you about goal setting, you could affirm things in your head, or think things in your head, or visualize things in your head. Um, but if you're not acting with your hands, there's there's something that's missing, right? There's an incongruency there. And I, I what I tell people is like you know check in with the second H, which is your heart, which is the symbol of like emotion. The energy of motion, and so I feel like that's the fuel that fuels the car that gets you to take action for something. And I do believe what got me through it is figuring out what my why was. Right? I don't want people to suffer the way I did. If I could do anything about it, for me, it's like no brain left behind. Right? Because I I live with that identity for so long, and I, my my message to people, whether it's on stage or on the podcast or anything, is that you know we are more than what we're demonstrating. That we've been sold this lie. That people are taught through school, like when I do these demos and I on stage memorize 100 names and words and numbers forwards and backwards, and it appears effortlessly. Um, I always tell people, I don't do this to impress you. I do this to express to you what's really possible. Because the truth is, everyone can do this too, and so much more. Apply towards creativity and focus and flow and problem solving and, and thinking and and and, and really to overcoming the biggest challenges of their life and maybe even the the world. The challenges we were taught a lie. We were taught a lie that somehow our Intelligence, our potential, our learning, our memory somehow is fixed. Our creativity is fixed. Our thinking is fixed, like our shoe size. And what we've discovered, you know, um, as you know, more I mean, about brain science. In the past two decades, we've discovered more than the previous two thousand years. And what we know is that we're grossly underestimating its capacity, our own capacity, to be able to grow, to be able to contribute, to improve our intelligence and our influence and our impact. And uh, I'm really—I want to kind of pull the veil behind and just say, hey, this is about transcending. You know, this is about ending the trance, ending the trance that you're that we're not good enough. You know, that we're not smart enough, that we, we're not this genius, and um, and telling the truth. And the, and the truth is, people could—we're faster and we're smarter than we think. And not just to be able to rote memorize things, but be able to really solve significant challenges. And maybe that these challenges that we're going through are the lessons that we need to. To learn the most, and then some people who learn those lessons feel compelled to be able to share that voice with other people. So it's not just one candle. You know, we just can set things ablaze. You know. So what are some of the the key problems that you yeah. personally want to solve that you think we face as a society? Like, what are those major movements for you? Um, so a lot of these conversations you and I we've had with our, our mutual friend Peter Diamandis over at X Prize. Um, I was at the very early stages of their education literacy prize、mm. when they first launched it, and、um, and so I think for for me,、um, my my platform is is, is education,、um, and I feel like that growing up, if anyone who's watching this feels like they're overloaded, overwhelmed, and they can't keep up, I always tell people that I don't think it's completely their fault. It's just we all grew up with a 20th century education that prepared us for a 20th century world, which at the turn of the century was working in factories and farms and assembly line, and our education system was married to that. It was assembly line, one size fits all,、um, cookie cutter approach towards education, teaching us things about what to learn: math, history, science, Spanish, but all things we could find online nowadays, right?、Mm-hmm. So what do you need to be able to regurgitate that information for?、Um, but it wasn't. It was about what to learn, but not how to learn, and you know how to. Think for yourself. How to solve problems? How to be creative? All the things that you can't outsource to, you know, to intel like automated or technology, or you can't outsource to Asia. You know, our our value in this world is really our build our creativity, 
right? Because that's not something that's easily outsourced. Our ability to create value, be creators, take our vision and turn them into reality, take the invisible and make it visible. But where are the classes on that, right? On how to be able to live your, your best version of yourself. That's why I love this and the conversations that we have and the conversations that you're bringing out to the world. Because nowadays, you know, we live in this, see, here's the thing. Um, I get to work, you mentioned with SpaceX and Elon and, and such, and, and we're rocket scientists and all these, I mean, they're, they're, think about that. We're, we're living in a world of autonomous electric cars and spaceships that are going to Mars by our vehicle choice when it comes to learning. It's like we're choosing like a horse and buggy, right? That's our choice. And that we wonder why, wow, this is taking so long. This is so hard. This is so difficult, but it's not our fault. We just weren't prepared for this world that we're living in right now. They say that um, that if Rip Van Winkle, you know, the gentleman who's, who'd slept for decades of slumber, right? If he woke up today, the only thing he would recognize is our schools. And that's not a slight against teachers. Like my mother's a school teacher. My, 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 my aunt is a college professor. I, I love those individuals because they're some of the most hardworking individuals that I know. And I get to train a lot of them. But it's a systemic issue, just like, like many challenges. You know, mm. it doesn't grow and it hasn't evolved as much as the rest of the world has. But I love this because right now classrooms, you know, they don't have four walls. I mean, how many, how many people are watching this from how many different countries right now? And you never know who's listening on the other side. And that motivates, inspires the heck out of me. Because what if someone right now is watching this on their smart device and they, you know, they're in the middle of some, uh, like a third world country and they become the next Malala or Elon Musk or, or what have you. Right. And that's, that's what really juices me. And so education, I feel like a lot of people feel like that when they graduate school, their, their learning is done. Mm. They, in fact, the two big dips in cognitive performance is usually when people graduate school. And the second one is when they retire from work. So often when people retire, you know, their mind, you know, they feel like, you know, their body is not too far behind either right. because of that connection.